This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Speaking of the union, Jay, we've got a new union member. Pete has joined us. Hey, Pete. Thanks welcome, for Pete. Uh, welcome. And I uh, hope you get into the polls because the polls are quite controversial. Uh, as our guest uh, who's joining us tonight knows, uh, who has been uh, in the thick of it, there's been lobbying, there's been threatening, there's been threats, there's been... Uh, whoa, 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 threats? Yeah. There's been, cool. there's been um, There's been bribery, there's been skullduggery, there's been shenanigans, tomfoolery, everything's been going on with regards to uh, the current poll that's up. It's It's nine albums suggested by people who listen to the podcast. I'm assuming they listen. There is a, a battle for the number one spot, and it's sort of like trying to imagine if the Harlem Globetrotters were actually going to beat uh, or actually going to lose to the um, to the team that they always beat. And people are, are, yeah, the Generals. And uh, they people are just livid that the Washington Generals are actually going to pull this off. We'll see what happens. I think, I think like a good Harlem Globetrotter fourth quarter performance, uh, they're going to pull it out at the, at the end. Is it still pinback versus Billy Idol? It is. <laughs> Greatest... <laughs> battle did, in music history i just love saying that because come on <laughs> what other podcasts are you gonna have you know pinback pin, a battle royale that comes down to pinback and billy idol in the middle of the ring not only that Go but ahead. then it started a whole discussion on the origin of cyberpunk uh because the, the album is cyberpunk and people were like well i it's not a very punk album and like no 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 it's not talking about punk rock it's right. talking about the or it's and we're like well that wasn't really popular. Well, no, cyberpunk goes back to William Gibson and, and, uh, <laughs> and the 1980s and his, his novels and, and Blade Runner. And, and, oh my gosh, there was so much. So, so does much it, craziness. does it, does it count as skullduggery if, uh, a person, um, added and removed their own vote for pinback a few times just to increase the concern <laughs> and maybe rally the troops a little bit? Uh, that was me. We, we oh. may, that may that might have happened in the past. That sounds like some well. shenanigans. I tell you, it's not my first time doing that either. So <laughs> that's some, the poll a little bit. That's electioneering, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what Radiohead warned us about. Uh, that voice you heard is the one and only Jeremy Amen. He's been here before. He's back. Jeremy, how you doing? Uh, pretty good. Um, all things considered uh still you know working from home which is nice but uh well, i don't know you joined nice us back to normal uh, during the year of covid 2020 you joined us four times uh, yeah the uh dada episode for the sophomore slump and then my selection of um murray attaway's enthrall and then albums of 91 90 right 90 90 okay yep. i didn't and do the, the 91 and the B-Sides uh, episode. Oh, right. You were on right. that one. And then previously, the sophomore slump reversed roundtable in uh, 
fall of 2019. So this year you are back with your pick. Tell everyone the album you have brought to us to check out and why'd you pick it? This is, uh, ironically enough, the sophomore uh, effort from Ned's Atomic Dustbin uh, called Are You Normal or Are You Normal? <laughs> I think you have to, is there a question mark on there you got to pronounce? Yeah, so um, yeah, and uh, I, I actually wanted to go a different direction and make this a lot more uh, weird and challenging, um, but uh, I decided to kind of go with something that, I, I also, I wanted to go with Godfather, their, their debut, but most people think that the production is pretty poor on that. It's pretty thin sounding and I didn't want to do that to you guys. So I thought, let's pick the second album. It's not quite as uh, punky as the first one. Um, so you're kind of missing out on that, but uh, uh, the production is, is a lot better. Uh, it's one of the Wallace Wallace's doing the production on it. So uh, um, uh, I'm hoping that at least if nothing else, production will not be held against it um for the uh, final verdict and how did you come across neds uh so i think i was uh let me think here that debut album came out in 91 yep so sometime around i was when i was 16 um might have been on 120 minutes or but probably i think it had to be on 120 minutes because i don't think they were really doing alternative nation all that stuff but i saw the video for gray cell green on mtv back in 91 and uh, um, this was back when it was really difficult for me to like go and make money and go buy an album. And I kept prioritizing other albums over it. But after I had heard like another single, by the time Christmas rolled around, I was like, I have to get this. And I put it on my Christmas list and my dad went and got me the, the, the I wanted the, the cassette with the t-shirt that comes with it, but he couldn't find it. And he just got me the cassette. This was before I even had a CD player. So, um, but nice. yeah, I mean, I, I, I had that thing in my little Walkman for, probably two months straight just listening to that album over and over again so um that's yeah that's pretty much what turned me on to the band and then i got really excited when the first single came out in 92 from this and um and then a little bummed after the the last album um turned out to be the last and it's pretty much it just uh the usual either mtv or 97x for me pretty much Nice. Uh, Jay, had you heard any Ned's Atomic Dustbin? Well, I remember the video. I don't know what song that would have been, but they were early 90s, kind of pre-Nirvana in my memory. One of those bands that kind of popped through as alternative, a little bit different. Started to give a flavor of like maybe where the, you know, the 90s could go in a different direction. Um, so I just remember that. Um, and remember the name from that and just vaguely them making a little blip on American MTV. So I, I kind of in the same boat as you, my, I think my actual um, real like understanding that who they were, because I, I don't think I, I wasn't really paying attention to 120 minutes in like 91. It wasn't, it wasn't until like 92, 93 after Nirvana broke that I was kind of getting into that. So I don't know that I I might have seen Kill Your Television, but or or Green Cell Gray, but I'm not sure. But they did a cover of um, the Bay City Rollers Saturday Night for the So I Married an Axe Murderer soundtrack, and that's probably where I first went. Oh, this is cool. 
because of oh, that wow, cover. Because okay. that song is like featured in the movie. It's not mm-hmm. just, um, it's not just like in the background of something. Like there's, a, they're like singing the song in in part of the movie. Do you remember that, Jay? Do you remember that movie? I vaguely is that worth revisiting? Oh yeah, the we movie. Just re- yes, we just rewatched it recently, and it's very yeah. funny. And actually, what's funny is how many actors are in it that are like side players. Oh, okay. That you don't, you didn't remember that, like, oh, that 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 guy's like in it for two minutes, and oh, there's Charles Grodin. <laughs> there's there's uh, Andy Garcia. There's uh, not Andy Garcia. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. No, is it Andy Garcia or who's the guy I'm thinking of? Uh, Last name's Garcia. I can't remember if the first name's Andy or not. Uh, it's um. Oh shit. Why am I blanking on the actor? Anthony LaPaglia. That's who oh, I'm thinking of. Damn, oh, wow, wow, I was way off. Yes. And then who is, who is the, who's the police chief? Like the guy that, that psychs him up. Oh, um, um, he's famous. Alan Arkin. Yes. yes. Al- Alan Arkin is in it. Phil Hartman has that great scene at Alcatraz. Just for, and like, I think it's because of Michael, Mike Myers, you know, Saturday Night Live connection that they had a bunch of people in, in the comedy world that sort of like come in and just do like very small parts here and there. I recently rewatched the, uh, I think it was the second Austin Powers. And it, it made me think of, so I married an axe murderer. So I need to go back and check that was out. Was it any good? Uh, yeah. I mean, the mini me stuff is just hilarious. There's, you know, just there's some bits in that that are just in some lines that just they're so ingrained in my sense of humor and that I just always think are funny. But hey, um, I believe Jay now, now Jeremy, you're from Cincinnati, right? You're in Cincinnati. Uh, well, I I live north of Cincinnati, but I grew up in Cincinnati. Okay, I believe Jay, we saw the second Austin Powers movie on the road when we were doing like a weekend of rock as we used to call them, where we'd play like okay. two cities, like one on a Friday and one on a Saturday. I believe that we were in Cincinnati and saw that movie as a band uh, when it I, came out. I will <laughs> take your word for it. You sure. It wasn't in the third one. Gold finger or gold member. Gold member. I, I don't think so, but I'd have to check the dates I, I, and the releases of those years. And I trust your memory on these things. I just I just remember we were we were out and we were like, well, we need to kill a couple hours. Let's go see a movie because that's what Jay, bands I, do. Jay, I will just tell you that the the while the Austin Power stuff is funny and it's good, yeah. that's like very lowbrow. Yeah, and I think that so I so I married an axe murderer is a little bit higher brow than oh, that. Wow. It's a little bit more sophisticated. Yeah. In my opinion. I just, bar- I, I mean, I saw it when it came out, mm-hmm. but I don't remember. I don't know that I've ever seen it again. So uh, that's, that's your weekend project. Jay. I, I like watch it. That. Uh, we should kid, get back. Is it kid friendly? Mm-hmm. There's one F word. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, it's PG-13. And there's a man's naked butt. With the towel oh, okay. thing, okay, yeah, that's, that, that's about it, right? Yeah, there's no, there's no, there, it's not like an X-rated, no, yeah. there's no penetration. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's where you draw the line. That's where you draw the line. Oh my god, European yeah. standards are. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna delete that. So. <laughs> 
Let's talk a little history of Ned's atomic dustbin. History of the band. Smooth segue. <laughs> Uh, they were in. They were formed in Stourbridge, West Midlands, England, in wow. 1987. That's a mouthful. Yes, it is. Uh, original lineup was Joe Penny. Excuse me, John Penny on vocals, Gareth Rat Pring on guitars and keyboards, Alex Griffin on bass, guitars, keyboards, and backing vocals, Matt Matt. Cheslin on bass, Matt with two T's, and then his nickname is with one T for some reason. I rhyme with rat. Matt and rat. Oh, I got it. Okay, that's funny. Um, and then Dan Wharton on drums. They did ref- so they broke up in '95. So they're together for six years. They reformed in 2008, or no, two- they reformed in 2000 temporarily um, with Martin Warlow on guitar and Andy King on bass. They were that was together till 2008. And then, um, and then they got back together with the original members. So they they've been together now as the original band. Uh, and there's been other people that have filled in on vocals and guitar, I guess backing vocals. Um, of course, like a good British band, they had somebody with a. Besides Rat, there was also a Whiz in the band because you got to have like a Bez or a <laughs> something like that. There's right. always got to be those guys. Yeah. Um, the debut album Godfather came out in 1991. Are You Normal came out in 1992. That was on their. Those were both on their own label called Furative, which was um, released through Sony Records. And then their third album, Brain Blood Volume, which is their final record, also was released on Furative through Sony. Now, what's interesting is they have three studio albums, but they have five compilation albums. Which they did a lot of B-sides. A lot of B-sides. They have two different B-sides compilations. There's so, there's a lot of overlap there, though. Gotcha. Those. And then they have a singles compilation, a best of compilation, and then an anthology compilation. And then a bunch of... Um, they did an acoustic version called Ned's Acoustic Dustbin in 2019. And uh, they put out... Uh, yeah, like I said, a couple live albums. And then there was some singles at the beginning, an EP. What's interesting is that um, there was an album called Bite released on a label called Chapter 22. But because um, they had released some singles from them and then the label put out the record without them knowing it. Just compiled all the recordings and put it out. So the band had, didn't have any input on that. Same. Which is uh, kind of a that's not a nice thing to do. Um, that qualifies as a dick move in the record business. There you go. Godfather made it to number four in the UK chart. Are You Normal? It's number 13 on the album chart. As far as singles go, Not Sleeping Around was number one on the US modern rock chart in whoa, 1993. Whoa, For like one week. For like probably. One, yeah, probably one week. Number 19 in the UK. That's pretty impressive. I mean, not even like Green Cell Gray or Kill Your Television got that high. Not too bad. Not too shabby. We got a hit single here. We shouldn't even be talking about this band. They had a number one single in the United States. Yeah. What are we doing here? If it was up for a vote, I'd have to speak out against it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
Uh, this was released November 3rd, 1992, produced by Andy Wallace. And I did say they have two bass players. Um, the way it works is that uh, Alex Griffin plays the high melodies and Matt Matt Cheslin plays the lower bass line. Ches? Ches. Well, yeah, why would you just call him Ches? Why wouldn't you call him... Why'd you call him Matt? Matt? I know it's Matt and Rad. I get that. But Chez right. is a much better. You spell it C-H-E-Z. Chez. Yeah. He, he probably changed it to Chez when Wiz was part of the group briefly. There you go. worked better. Chez Wiz, you know. Maz or Gaz would be better. Yeah. yeah probably. Got to have a Gaz or a, a Bez. or a... me would love that more. Jizzy Pearl should move over there and join a band. <laughs> He'd have to be just Jez. Is this like the the EMF Jesus Jones connection with Barry B and Barry D? Maybe. So I, I want to bring something up because I did not know this. It was a, I literally this was a new discovery for me. They are classified not only as being alternative music but as Grebo. Have you ever heard this term before, Jeremy? Yeah, and I don't. The problem is Grebo is more of a more of an attitude outside of the music because. Those three bands from Stourbridge, Wonder Stuff, Pop Weed Itself, and Nesatomic Dustbin, um, I believe they're all put into that Grebo group. Mm-hmm. But none of the, th- those three bands all sound completely different from each other. I mean, you've heard the Wonder Stuff, I'm sure. You know, no. that you've never heard the Wonder Stuff, really. If I did, um, I, it, I don't remember what they sounded like. No, um, definitely not like this. I mean, they're, I think it's like a five piece band with a violin. And uh, uh, um, a little bit more kind of kind of um, teenage fan club, a little bit sounding hmm. in the early days, a little bit, but not they're not as polished of songwriters as 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 that band. But um, and then Pop Weed itself, certainly you've heard Pop Weed itself, right? Maybe. I mean, that's like it's basically like industrial. So gotcha. These the closest they come to being like each other would be when Brain Blood Volume came out, and that is still far away. So Grebo is described on RateYourMusic.com as short-lived English subculture and associated music, raw, futuristic, sample-heavy form of alternative dance with a grungy guitar sound. The examples given are Carter the Unstoppable Sex Machine, Pop Will Eat Itself, Jesus Jones, um, EMF, Elastica, Gay Bikers on Acid, Age of Chance, Headless Chickens, and Renegade sound wave are the bands that fall into that uh sound so i can see the connection between like carter the unstoppable sex machine and jesus jones and emf i don't see it to this particular album now maybe the you mentioned the next album could maybe be closer to that but i don't hear that same like dance futuristic sample thing going on that they're talking about or maybe I yeah and i it. i i don't even i i don't know I ju- it just feels like it's more of a description of 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 an, an attitude and clothing style and and uh i think i i just think it's i it seemed to me it, it was just a bunch of kids that didn't give a shit and blended everything that they liked all into like one but you know every all the different clothes that they liked and all the different music that they liked and just kind of put it all together and then came out with what they thought they did best and um i don't know i just i i I feel like 
um, saying all those bands as Grebo is like talking about grunge and throwing in any band just because they're from Seattle. Right. You know, like the head and the heart are grunge. Uh, no, they're not. You know. So we had some comments over at Patreon. We'll review the res- or reveal the results of the poll later in the show. Uh, Gary Moran said, I'd forgotten that I have the CD. It's a good one. Gavin said, I always enjoy these guys. I tend to have them more as background music. So I'm taking worthy albums as I can't separate the songs. I had the album 0.522, I think, because of the cover. Is that the name of an album? A, uh, it's a compilation of B-sides. Okay. Um, David Gorgo said, I'd like to hear more bands with two bass configuration. Willie Dillon said, I find it to be all right, but not quite my cup of tea. Sounds a little too 80s for my liking. Better EP. And then there are some uh, butt jokes after that, which I'll not get into. Uh, Steven Musinski, this record simply did not have the immediacy that Godfather had on me. But with repeated listens, I did slowly find more to like about it than I did on my first couple spins. So perhaps it's a grower. It's definitely too long. No real surprise there. Strangely enough, the songs I liked most are all clustered together at tracks 8, 9, and 10. Boy, these guys sure love their puns, didn't they? Leg end in his own boots. Not quite as rich as Godfather, though. As always, looking forward to the review, especially since Jeremy will be Joey joining. Uh, Rich Buxbaum said, this was my first exposure to Ned's Atomic Dustbin, and I'm ashamed to say how late to the party I am because I enjoyed every minute. When I was brushing up on my Muse research for the Origins episode, I remember the Neds were cited as an early influence. And you can really hear it on tracks like Swallowing Air, Tantrum, Who Goes First, and Not Sleeping Around. Probably not coincidentally... Those were the album standouts for me. I love the rhythm section is front and center up right up in your face underneath those shimmer guitars and irreverent vocals is an industrial strength groove machine. I think Willie sounds a little too eighties comment has to be a dig at the guitars, which I do do occasionally veer into edgy territory edge as in the edge, but it's not too derivative and it's definitely not unpleasant. This record was a beautiful dynamic. Listen, I look forward to checking out the rest of the work. Jeff Genta said, I started off thinking that uh, Ned's had gone from a five-star debut down to a better EP based on the middle run of Who Goes First, Tantrum, and Not Sleeping Around. I'd only listened to those songs since shortly after its release, so I liked this week as an excuse to revisit everything I had discarded. I've been depriving myself. Are You Normal is not as good as the debut, but it's a worthy album. I could imagine that detractors would think these songs are too slimmer, similar and if you don't like what they're selling, that's a problem. Last note, this might be obvious, but I particularly liked how Suave and Suffocated has a Pumpkins-esque title and a Pumpkins-esque intro. See the first 15 seconds of Gish. Nice try, Jeremy. Jeremy wrote, just putting this here to see if Tim reads comments like Ron Burgundy <laughs> reads a teleprompter tonight. Hi, my name is Tim Minichi, and my face is poop. <laughs> nice try. I caught that. <clears throat> so close. You were so <laughs> close, but see the the way to do that, you can't do it that way. You got to put it right in the middle of a of a paragraph. <laughs> oh geez, Tim. You got to tell people that. You got to slide that like there's a big block cuz I don't read these ahead of time. Right. I'm just I'm just riffing up, you know, seat of my pants. 
So you throw that in there. I'm not going to see it until the last second. And then it's over. Then it's, there's nothing I can do about it. You put it out on its own like that. I can clearly see it. Nobody do that. You're warned. I'll put you in timeout. Jay. Yeah. Tell me one thing you liked about Are You Normal? By Ned's Atomic Dustbin. It's fun to hear the two base concept here play out. Uh, so the, the base on the top, yes, it's melodic and, you know, tone wise, it's also different. You know, they're EQ'd. They seem to be EQ'd a little different too. They're just the way they're playing or the amp setup they're using or whatever. So, you know, that is not, uh, something you hear a lot and it's not something you hear a lot in a generally like, I mean, there's mostly pop songs, right? I don't really see these as being overly heavy or progressive, you know, that might be like maybe where you would hear something like, you know, two basses trying to work as a concept to do something like fuzzy or heavy or big and huge. So it's interesting that um, it's these layers. They're very melodic. I think the bass on top sounds often a lot like either New Order or uh, maybe even like a band like Faith No More where like, you know, bass is really present, poppy, you know, and, and like the rhythm is like really up in your face. But more than more often than not, it sounds like New Order to me, um, just in the way they, they're approaching that, that melodic bass part. Um, it's also interesting because then it becomes really important to the melody of the song. So it's almost like you got two singers. You've got the, you know, that lead bass on top providing uh, a melodic line. And then you've got the additional vocal. And there's something about because in other bands, I think that those bass parts could be done on guitar. There's something just about the frequency of the bass and the way the bass is like more rounded sounding. It just sounds more like a vocal. See, it's almost like you've got two singers. You've got that bass, the melodic bass line on top, on top, and then you've got the actual vocal. Um, another thing I thought was interesting is the drumming on the record. So suave and su- uh, suffocated. Yeah, it sounds like gish, but it's also like, it's just a double kick pattern. And that is not something I associate with, you know, kind of alt pop bands, which I would kind of generally classify this band as. Like if you played that drum beat um, by itself, I think a lot of people who listen to rock music would expect like kind of a metal riff to come over top of that, but it is not a metal riff that comes over top of it. Um, So there's something interesting about, you know, the drums are pretty busy. They, they do use in several places like double kick and triplets and interesting fills um, that helps fill in the space. There's also something about the way it's produced. Like, it's never overly aggressive, even though there's a performance aspect to it. It's somehow pulled back so that it never gets too like fuzzy or rock or hard rock. It's it's somehow the performance of the production is just pulled back a little bit. Um, so even that drum beat that you know starts the record out, 
like you could also hear like that on a that part played on a Judas Priest record, but it would sound totally different because it'd be super aggressive, loud, you know, done with a lot more force. But technically, like if you put it on paper, it would be the same drum part. Um, so I just found that interesting too, that just how the drums are treated at times it gets a little almost dancey, but they're not like loopy sounding or drum machine sounding. It, you know, it just sounds like a, a person playing drums, which is kind of interesting. So yeah, it's a, it's a different sound. Um, I, I would say the closest, like I mentioned, they come to is probably new order um, or maybe even like Dada from a melodic, like, songwriting standpoint there's some things on here that remind me of of that band a bit uh so yeah it's a it's an interesting setup and uh i think musically there's a lot of cool stuff going on how about you tim i i agree i'm still trying to wrap my head around this record i don't think i've completely cracked it because i'm Mm -hmm. i can't i agree with you on the on the new order comparison because of those peter hook-esque yeah. high bass runs and and stuff like that but this band somehow makes a lot of different and strange combinations of sounds all work together so that this sounds unified even though it really shouldn't i'm thinking about like the guitar riff at the beginning of like walking through soup which speaking of metal uh what like that to me does yeah. not belong on this album, but it does. I, I don't know yeah. how to put it. Because of the fact that they're messing around with the traditional format of what you think of in terms of a rock band by adding that second bass, I think what it does is it allows that second guitar or, or allows the guitar with the second bass to do some really unusual, make some unusual choices. So it can do this very aggressive, hard rock sounding riff on that song. It can do a very edge style delayed, you know, uh, uh, lead on another song. There's like, there's nothing that the guitar has to sort of anchor to because there's already a low range and there's a mid range. Yeah. Because of those yeah. two bass parts. So the guitar can kind of just fill in wherever it wants. It doesn't have to care. And it doesn't have to carry counter melodies either if it doesn't need to, because this, that, like you said, like in, like in the order that, that bass carries, the counter melody that's what's happening here so the guitar can kind of just roam which is neat because it really gives them a a really unique sound but like i said i still i i you know i hear bits and pieces about like what was happening in the, in the early 90s pre nirvana exploding with 
EMF and and Soup Dragons, where it was just it wasn't necessarily that this band sounds like exactly like them, but they have that bounce that those bands had. Yeah. Um, there's just and you mentioned like the triplets. I mean, Jesus, the drummer's busy on a lot of these songs. I mean, he is he has got to be exhausted at the end of a set yeah. because he does. I, there's like one or two, maybe like slower to mid tempo songs, but the most part he is shuffling his ass off from, from song to song playing triplets and quadruplets and yeah. sextuplets and whatever you can do as a drummer. That was really interesting. I, I, I had, I couldn't really relate that to anybody else. Um, you know, some of the stuff, had a little bit of early stone roses sound to me just in terms of like, because it had a backbeat dancey feel to it. So, um, I, I don't know if that, if that band was an influence on this band or, or not. Um, but I definitely heard some of that in there. Um, you know, the Manchester sort of dancey end of things with, with those bands, but this really is a very unique sound even though when you describe it to someone, you know, it's basically it's a rock band with an extra bass player. You're like, well, what what, what difference does that make? Like, actually, it makes a huge difference because it completely yep. rearranges the format of what everybody's able to do. Um, and I don't know of a lot of other bands that have two bass players. So, yeah, I don't yeah, have anything I, to compare it to. Yeah, I think Walking Through Syrup is a good example because, yeah, it starts off with what would be a metal riff but because there's two bases then then to come on on top of that it totally changes the whole characteristic of the song in an instant yep. so yeah the possibilities of how you can in, like layered elements that are seemingly like polar opposites and somehow you know they put them together and they just sound in a really unexpected way yep jeremy what works best for you on this record as you revisit it well what what originally attracted me to the band obviously was the the two bass players like i saw it in the video like i, I remember i was halfway through the video when i saw uh you know first first saw them and i was just like it took me a minute like first i was like wait a minute is he playing that bass with a coin and then i realized that he was playing chords and i'm like but i'm hearing a bass and that, you know that's when i realized like oh okay there's two bass players in this band and um and then I, I liked the drums when I initially heard them as well, because they were very busy, but they weren't like in your face. And um, uh, so initially that's what attracted me to it. And then it also, there's this punk attitude on that first album that doesn't really come across on this album um, that I also really enjoyed. Um, and uh, um, it's kind of funny because the things that I, I'm not going to say I don't enjoy them, but the things that I felt were the least enjoyable about the band, it, it's, it's funny that they did that Ned's acoustic dustbin thing, because if I had to pick the two worst parts of the band, it would be the guitarist and the, and the singer. And yet those two guys <laughs> work together to basically redo a bunch of the songs. And it's kind of cool, but um, so I, I, I try to listen to this with more of an analytical ear this time. I mean, I, I, I like it all. I like John Tenney, even though he, I think he has like a, like a one act, one octave range, you know, I do enjoy uh, kind of his, 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 lyrical choices and his delivery isn't bad you know it's not like he great you know grates on my ears or anything like that but um uh i think what i really like <clears throat> is 
how, like you're saying, they bring the guitars in as mostly an atmospheric effect. Um, and I'm not going to say it's like the edge, but I actually had to look on a map and see where Stourbridge was because I was wondering if they were really close to um, to the to the uh, to the west coast or or possibly to Scotland, because when I think about the way the guitarist works, it almost feels like sometimes there's a a, a violin or a or a bagpipe influence to how he puts his guitar into the song, like uh, in a big country by big country. Like mm -hmm. I I think of that song sometimes with some of the things that he does. He it, it doesn't feel like he's working as a guitarist. He's playing a guitar. But it feels like he's he's just I, I'm just going to do what's needed is kind of his approach. You know, like, I think this is what's going to work. And who cares whether it's a riff or not? Who cares if I'm just wanking with a wah pedal for a while? It's going to work for the song. And let's roll with it. So the guitars kind of grew on me uh, after after a while. But but I still say that the combination of those two bass players and the drummer who on the first album was billed as Dan Dan, the fast drumming man. Um, uh, those, those are like what attracted me to the band uh, initially but I do overall um, just like the, the package now just the way that they put everything together like you said how they take um, just unusual sounds and, and ideas and like that the, the metal riff that you're talking about that song starts out Walking in Surf sounds like it's going to be kind of angry for like the first few seconds and then it's got this kind of poppy happy feel to it when, those bass, when the bass comes in um it's just uh um it's cool i mean you can hear some some kind of snarkiness and, and anger in the in the lyrics and the delivery but you don't um uh even when they sound punk like on the first album it's still fun uh, there's still just a fun band to listen to i think there's like the main thing i was just like they're just a, just a uh um just a real life enhancing band for me i think Interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with you on him as a vocalist. I, I really liked it when he doubled uh, his vocal. It sounded really nice. Well, that um, might be Alex. Uh, that oh, might be Alex uh, singing. But uh, no, I, I guess John Penny does do some doubling, too. And he, he can harmonize with himself, uh, it sounds like. He does a pretty good job at that. Gotcha. Yeah, when there was two vocals, I thought that really elevated the that part of the band. Uh, it was interesting, I, you know, you mentioned about him being sort of a, a one octave kind of singer, which I kind of think that Bernard Sumner is kind of the same way. I mean, Bernard Sumner doesn't really have much up and down in his vocal. He's kind of uh, but there is a little bit of attitude and it kind of there was some aspects of uh, post punk, um, whether it was like John Lydon, not not Sex Pistols, John Lydon, but more pill John Lydon or buzzcocks or stuff like that that i'm i'm sure that the, he grew up listening to um i think he even mentioned i think it's in their wikipedia that he he was into like um the cure and echo and the Bunnymen and and those kind of bands along with uh joni mitchell uh i feel like it, when you're an alternative band you always drop like one oddball uh influence that people are like oh of course you listen to echo and the Bunnymen and the cure but joni mitchell it would be like, you know, <laughs> right. somebody today would be like, well, I listened to Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and Tony Bennett. You're right. like, wait, what? Yeah. So that, so I could hear where um, his vocal from a 
single standpoint, like they really got to work to get that one really good song. Like not sleeping around is the single, and and you can tell it like that that melody is really probably the strongest on the record. And there are some like really cool hooks and melodies and some good lines here and there, but I I much more this was much more a like consistent just listen through than going back and I would hear something of like oh I remember it the second and the third time but I wasn't really like able to I was more like that's I remember that bass hook I remember that guitar riff I remember that musical thing more so than what John Penny was doing as a vocalist you jay yeah i struggle with the vocal on this record it's not because of the range it's not because of the melodies uh i do think he sounds like bernard sumner but i think there's something about bernard sumner that has a charm to it that this is just lacking personality it just doesn't emote emote it doesn't have any swagger it's just a vocal and it's dry from a production standpoint. That was mm-hmm. probably my bigger issue with it. Like he's not, it's not like he's off key or it, it's grading. It's just kind of like there. And sometimes in that, when that happens, or I sense that on a record, it's because the songwriting is not that good, but I think the songwriting is in most ca- cases. Okay. There's just something about the way it's produced and performed that just doesn't quite do it for me. Um, I almost would rather the vocal be pulled back because it is also very loud in the mix. You know, it's kind of mixed like they want this to be a pop record with a loud vocal um, up front. But I think musically, there's just so much cool stuff going on that I would rather pull the vocal back maybe put a little reverb on it and let the let the bass come up more and make it a little bit denser and a little bit washier um and just have it all like just glued together a bit more it's i don't know i just hear the vocal so separated from the rest of the band um and it's not produced well enough and or that great of a performance to need it to be that upfront. Um, yeah, it sounds. It sounds like they. It sounds like the band is backing the singer. Yeah. When really, it should be the singer. You know, it's just that it's. It's like, uh, yeah. I mean, it's like so. It's like when somebody that's kind of a celebrity gets to do their own album, and they're not really that great of a singer, but they've got their voice right up there up front, and they've surrounded themselves with amazing, like 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 William Shatner. Yeah. You know, we get all these <laughs> amazing musicians to work with them, and yeah. and then you know, his voice is way up in the mix, his singing voice. His cover of common people is pretty great though. That is a really great cover. (laughs) And I think you mentioned it, Tim too, that um, this has been a grower for me. It it took me many listens to really start to get things to be memorable. And the things I'm I'm, I'm remembering as I 
if I turn the record off and, you know, don't listen to music for, you know, 10, 15 minutes and try to think of something from the record, the things I'm thinking of are the sound of the band. You know, just that there, there's a characteristic of like how that bass is ringing out over top and the rhythms that they play. It's not like a vocal hook or a vocal aspect. Um, so that starts to tell me like they're kind of missing the what's working here in the way they're presenting, producing and mixing it, um, which is making it actually harder for me to like immediately grab onto the record. You know, it's, it's, it's taking me many listens to really kind of absorb what's going on, what the songs are about, where the hooks are. Um, it's not immediately, pre you know, uh, obvious to me uh, in the first couple of listens, uh, sort of what to grab onto. And I think, again, a lot of that has to do with the emphasis of the vocal and the overall mix is just um, not, not optimal for this, I think, what this band is doing. Yeah, I, I, I think the band missed the boat getting into stuff that doesn't work. It's such an interesting lineup. It's such an interesting sound musically. They take some risks. They do some things. And then to have such a dry sort of straightforward vocal is to me like missing a big opportunity there. Like do some cool effects with the vocal. You have that opportunity because it's not like, I mean, when you fundamentally break it down, this isn't, you know, these are all fairly structured, you know, normal rock songs. They're all, I mean, the the longest one is like four and a half minutes. It's all, there's one, the fracture was, we're going to take that out because it's min 25, but everything is basically between like 240 and four and a half or 440 or whatever. So they're not like, doing anything really wild musically other than their format and how they're able to play off of each other. So there was a real opportunity to make, I don't know if maybe they felt like there was, they needed the vocal to be dry and clean to be ground, to gr be the one grounded thing as a part of the band. But I really would have liked to have heard some, you know, some reverb or do some cool echo or delay, or if you have another person that can sing, try some counter melodies that would be cool. Yeah. But it just feels like that was, everything seems really well thought out the way that they were able to integrate the two bases with the guitar. I mean, a lot of thought has to go into that. And then the, the, the vocal seems to just be plopped on top of it with not a lot of personality. So I think that's, that's the thing that sort of misses for me and that might be one of the reasons why i had a hard time why it took me you know multiple listens to sort of figure out what i was hearing it's because it was so musically driven and i all i was remembering was basically bass yeah and and guitar stuff from song to song I, and and drum patterns i found listening to this record loud helps a lot too yes um it helps balance out the mix a little bit i, I felt when i listened to it sort of at a you know, normal or quieter volume. I was so fixated on the vocal that I was missing all this cool stuff going on. And when I cranked it, I realized like, oh shit, there's a ton of like low end and cool bass stuff going on that I couldn't even get to because all I could hear was that vocal on top. Um, so I definitely recommend cranking it. I definitely yeah, found I had to listen to headphones. Yeah. 
And there are there are spots on the album where uh, I forget who it is that made the comment um, talking about the middle there, how you have um, uh, what is it? Who goes first and then tantrum and they're not sleeping around. I think like uh, I'm trying to remember which song it is. It might be who goes first. There's a <clears throat> there's a, they get kind of stuck in a rut where the song is only four and a half minutes long but it could have been three and a half minutes. It could have been three minutes and 15 seconds um, because there's some repetition where unless you're really listening to it loud, you're not going to pick up on the cool little thing that, that Alex does on the lower bass end um, uh, or, or a change to the, to the bass kind of chords that um, that Matt is playing or sorry, I'm getting it mixed up. Alex is there's a kind of a low little thing that Matt does um, that you don't pick up on because like you said, the vocals are are higher in the mix. And I, I think that if you guys ever get a chance to go back and listen to that first album, the production is overall poorer, but you might appreciate the that I don't think that the vocal is, is as prevalent on that album as it is on this one. I, I mean, and if it is, it's more of a punk style vocal. It's not um, he's not trying to be as melodic as he is on this one. And it actually works better for the band in my opinion um but i mean i love i love this album but i'm just saying that um you might enjoy the attitude and the energy of the first album uh more i i can definitely hear how this would be influential on you know guys who were who were in grade school or whatever whatever that is equivalent in the uk um you know, because I was hearing in terms of the rhythm stuff, in terms of a, a lot of this band, I was hearing like little bits of Franz Ferdinand, little bits of of Kaiser Chiefs, those like early 2000s bands that had a sense of rhythm on top of the fact that they were writing like post Britpop, you know, songs. They, they were kind of moving away from Oasis and Blur and going in different directions. And I, I can hear where you could listen to this record and get some really cool, like even not sleeping around. I was listening when I was hearing that, I was like, Oh, this sounds like, I mean, you know, what is this? 92. Um, this sounded like a lot of those like mid nineties to late nineties, like ocean color scene. And where they had like a, and I don't know how the British bands pull this off, but they get like, they have this like, british rhythm it's like everything is about that it's like it's like a bait like a blues bass line that they're able to pull off jay you know what i'm talking about like i don't know it's funny because as i when i listen to that yeah yeah i know what you're talking about i that walks this line of like almost being like american like jam hippie band yes Like one second you listen to, you're like, oh, I don't know. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, that's kind of cool. And then you're like, yeah, I don't know. But they they're able it's like these it's these circular like bass riffs and it's very bluesy and it's very like and then allows the guitar player to throw a wah wah solo over top right. of it. And but the the British bands always like pulled it off in like three and a half, four minutes and yeah. and made a single out of it, whereas the U.S. bands turned them into seventeen minute jams, yeah. and uh, Patrick Test is going to get mad at me for that. <laughs> but uh, sorry, but, Patrick. Um, that always amazed me because, like, you know, like the Verve did it, and and Boo Boo Radleys, and all those bands had those like yeah. those kind of songs. So I could hear that. I mean, 
it's interesting that this band was around for such a short period of time in the 90s, but I could hear them being influential, not on just on what came immediately after them, but, you know, a decade after them um, because of their unique setup. That It's just a band that, like, when you hear about them having two bass players, you're like, well, I got to hear what that sounds like because that's, that's strange. Yeah. I've heard about bands with, like, you know, no good, no bass player, <laughs> but not two bass players. So... No string drums, two string bass, three string three string guitar. Right, or, yeah. Or, I guess the Allman Brothers had two drummers, or was it Allman Brothers that had two drummers, or yes. or Leonard Skinner? You're you're oh. you're thinking of um, uh, you're thinking of Ministry. Okay. Well, <laughs> Ministry or Allman Brothers, same thing. <laughs> They're very similar. They are. Revolting Cox, you know, one of those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dickie Betts was in both, right? Ministry and <laughs> and uh, right. Um, so, like I said, this actually did for at least a week uh, was a number one. They had a number one single in the U.S., um, but this is just when Nirvana's breaking. So I could imagine that this would this would go on to 120 minutes, but not make it past that. Like I don't, I, I don't, I don't see once Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains start dominating MTV in the early nineties, uh, you know, in 92, along with Guns N' Roses, um, that there's, there's probably not, this isn't going to be at four o'clock when you get home from school. Uh, it's not going to be on MTV. So let's get into our overall ratings and we'll reveal the, um, Patreon ratings. But, uh, Jay, where do you, land on this how do you rate this record were the album better ep or decent single i suspect if i s- continue to spend more time with it i could maybe see myself getting to where the album it's 46 minutes which is reasonable right i think that's a good target for a 90s record it feels like a long 46 minutes um i find myself not really grasping the record and grabbing onto like melodies and starting to really get into the hooks until like tantrum or not sleeping around. And then I think it hits a nice um, rhythm there with uh, you don't, uh, you don't want to do that. Legan in his own boots, two and two made five. I think uh, fractures or fractures kind of cool and spring so i think there's a little run there in the middle of the record that's strong i don't know if that's because the material is just stronger it's 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 a little bit more pop oriented i hear more like this uh that section of the record i hear more of a band like yes doing the new order thing a bit but also i can hear some uh influence from maybe you know, a band like the Vapors, you know, some earlier 80s new wave, you know, in there too, just melodically what's going on. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like a better overall direction for them versus the first half of the record. It's a little more, um, I hear you too. I hear a little bit more aggressive, you know, kind of things. Um, it's just harder to grasp. Not that that material's like, way better or worse there's just something about it's either still not quite as strong or just sequencing wise i'm just not able to 
really get into the record until we get towards the middle um, and then through the through the, the, the latter half. So my EP would be Tantrum, well, tracks 6 through 12, basically. Um, I think it would be a solid EP with, again, the caveat that I could see myself if I spent more time with this record continuing to like absorb more of it and ending up appreciating the whole thing. But where it sits right now, it's an EP. Was, uh, was track 13 too long for you? The, the last track intact? Um, That's the one that has the, um, like the flanging effect on it. Yeah, it was a little, little long and it just felt a little like generic. It was very much in the style that you were describing, Tim, that like, Manchester kind of fancy kind of vibe. It mm-hmm. was yeah. just like to me, like uh, the most generic version of that. It was okay, but it's not like one of the standouts. I, I liked Intac, and it reminded me of like the editors in the oh, okay. way that the, he, there's that that high lead that's going on in that, and and the editors had those like very um, on a, a lot of their singles, very energetic drumming Uh, so I can see a band like that getting influenced by this band But I agree with you that the second half of the record to me is the stronger half of the record. Um, I, I'm at a worthy album. I would go five through 13, um, which is, you know, I'm basically getting rid of the first four songs. Um, but that's, that's, I think a nine song record is, is strong. It's not that I dislike those. It's just that I just don't feel like there is, I, I just, it takes me a while to get, warmed up but once you hit that point that's where it hit kind of takes off for me so yeah i it's it's a grower yeah it's definitely a grower but i think there's some really rewarding stuff on here i would just like to hear a different maybe mix yeah i, I it also seems like a record where i think if you heard one of these songs you pretty much get the gist of it Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that there's that much range. Now, if you, I mean, there's a lot going on in that one song, like guys we've talked about, but um, yeah, there, there's a very distinct sound and it's pretty consistent through the whole thing. Jeremy, what is your verdict? Um, I mean, I'm at a worthy album, but I can see, especially those first, um, those first four tracks. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, when I got it in 92, I was pretty excited about it. Um, um, but then eventually I would get to the point where I would get the album out. And I like listening to entire albums. I really hate even doing playlists or anything like that. I just like to put an album in and finish it. Probably because I grew up in the cassette age and I'm just 
used to the idea that you really have no choice unless you want to make a mixtape. Um, so I, I know that when I got into like 93, 94, 95, and I would put the album in, um, put the, put the CD in and start playing it. Sometimes I would get two or three songs in and I would say, you know what? I actually want to listen to the first album and I would actually stop it. And I would put in the first album. Um, I never found myself skipping ahead to the other ones. It was just kind of like it either commit or stop. And I didn't hate the songs, but I can see um, like, like my friends that liked the first album, they didn't really like this second album. Um, mm. it, it, especially my, my, my friend that I recorded with, um, he is much more of a, a guitar player than anything else. And he loved the first album. Um, but the second one, he just, he couldn't get into it. And I don't know if he got, gave it a chance past the four tracks or, or not. Um, but I mean, I can see how those would be a bit of a, of a, um, uh, a difficult uh, kind of hurdle to get to the, get to the rest of it. Um, and I, and I would agree that we're probably looking at that the late middle to, to the end of the album as the strongest parts of the album, but it, that's enough for a, a solid album for me. And I, I do just listen to the whole thing through. I do have positive um, memories of all of the songs on the album. And I do remember the vocal melodies too. Like I'll even kind of catch myself humming a little, like, uh, um, uh, what is the line? Uh, boy, I'm totally drawing a blank now. But his reference to his five, five o'clock shadow, could your mind be as shallow as my five o'clock shadow? Um, that kind of howl that he does singing that. It's, he's not a great singer, but I still enjoy it. I still enjoy hearing it. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a solid, I, I think it's a pretty, pretty solid album. Um, oddly enough, there are people that like the third one more than this. And I don't, I mean, I, I like the third one, but I, I think that they just, uh, I think the first one was their best. This one is a close second to me. And then the third one is kind of like a desperation move to do something different. It's still good in my opinion, but yeah, this one is, is, um, it's not my go-to, but I'd still say it's, um, it's a solid, uh, worthy album. Uh-oh. Well, muted. when it comes to the Patreon community, I had to mute because the dogs were barking. Uh, they agree with uh, you and I, Jeremy. It's a worthy album, 64% to a better EP of 36%. Uh, that's not a bad uh, showing there. That's a that's a pretty sizable win for worthy album for Ned's Atomic Dustbin. I feel like this was, you know, we say this, Occasionally, but I feel like we had to get to a Ned's Atomic Dustbin album. This is one of the, as far as names go, this is a very 90s name band. <laughs> so true. So true. So this was this was absolutely necessary. Well, it's, I mean, you asked me if I was familiar with the, familiar with the band. It was like, well, I remember the name. <laughs> and I vaguely remember a video with like a lot of like color and performance. But I had no idea what the band sounded like. So, Right. Well, Jeremy, thank you for helping fill that void of uh, adding Ned's to our dustbin. Yes, to our dustbin. <laughs> I almost chose their B, their their and B sides B sides album. Oh my god! Like yeah, wouldn't that be kind of crazy just to be like, hey, your first Ned's Tom dustbin album is going to be B sides? I don't know if that's legally allowed. I mean, yeah. I guess yeah. we would have to uh, abide by your selection, but 
That would be uh that seems like a pretty uh a bold move. Might have to run that by the board and see where that lands. <laughs> I think he's on the board. That's the problem, vote, Jay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have a problem here. The I think the board's been uh been uh tasked with uh too much uh power there. We might have to uh get the shareholders to um <laughs> You have to call in RoboCop and then fire me on the spot. There you go, <laughs> Ed. No, not Ed. It was Dick that's, Jones. That's the bad guy. Yeah, that's right. You're fired. Thank and then you. His arms get long for some reason. Oh yeah, it's yeah. He gets he gets the spaghetti arms when he falls out the window. <laughs> you know what's crazy is like they did falling out the window. What was that? What year did that movie come out? 87? Somewhere in there? I think it was 86. I think it was 86 because I think I was in sixth grade when my teacher actually brought it in and had us watch it. I'm going to look this up now because this is very important. Seems like a really bad idea for a teacher to just let a bunch of sixth graders sit around and watch a movie with a bunch of F-bombs. 87. It's 87. Okay. So you saw the Challenger explode live on TV. You were ready for anything. Yeah. Same teacher, I think. (laughs) Yeah. I want to point. I want to point out that Die Hard um, came out the following year. It has a much better falling from the top of a building uh, special effect with uh, Han- when Hans Gruber falls from the top of that building. Also, uh, I didn't know this until I watched an episode of um, the the movie pod or the movie show on Netflix was it called like our my favorite mo- our favorite movies or something like that? Uh, they didn't tell uh, Alan Richter at, or that uh, Rickman. Rickman Rickman Alan Rickman yeah Alan Rickman that they were going to do that like they they just pushed him like obviously it was a it was a green screen uh, they didn't push him off the side of the building but that's why his face is like <laughs> terror he's 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 kind of shocked that's happening uh when you see it because he didn't know that that was going to happen so i think he uh, knew he was going to fall oh no i'm thinking of a i'm thinking of a stuntman that fired his gun as he was falling in an old like burt reynolds movie or something yeah he was a guy that knew he was going to fall he knew he was going to fall but they they didn't give him like a one two three Mm -hmm. to do the to do it to catch so they would catch his face being especially um surprised so completely irrelevant to our podcast, but love to talk about stuff that uh, is, is not relevant so that uh, people can complain about um, when podcasts go off the rails. Uh, Jeremy, do you have your, your 2022 pick uh, teed up there? You know what you're going to do? You're gonna be- I, I think I know what it is, and I almost did it this time. Um, but it's, uh, it's, um, it's going to be an enhanced CD that's out of print and not streaming currently. Um, from Jesus. one of my favorite bands. Uh, it won't be cyberpunk, not that enhanced CD. This will actually be a better enhanced CD. But I actually tried to see if I could get the material from it to send to you guys. And it's so, it's old Macromedia stuff. And and uh, you can't play it on a PC, on any Windows 7 or 10 PC or any Mac at this point. I was really bummed out about it. So I think that's where I'm going to go. Although I might lobby for one of those 2000 or 2001 exceptions that I had asked about leading into leading up to this because there's a couple of albums and oh there's an album in 2000 and album in 2001 from 90s bands that would really love to 
get on the show if at all possible. We'll see. Besides records? No, not besides records. No. By the way, Ned's makes Ned's. I don't know who does their um, like their their. Well, the design on this album isn't too great because you can't you can't even read the song titles on right. there. Well, you can't see anything right now because it's blending out. But the 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 font you can't even read it. You 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 just can't. I mean, maybe I could when I was younger. But their <laughs> their overall color design, just like the psychedelic stuff and the and the the even the discs themselves for their singles had just really cool uh, looks to them. Um, and I really regret that I got rid of those. Um, I was dumb. I, I recorded them all to tape and then I sold them oh. so that I could get another album. And then that tape uh, <laughs> caught in my dad's uh, car stereo. And uh, I got so pissed at like it, it, it ate it. And so I ripped it out and I threw it out the window. So I could have just taken the tape and at least repaired it and saved all but one song, but I was so pissed off, threw it out. And then I found the B-Sides compilation and I felt a little bit better about myself, but but those were beautiful CD singles, and and I don't, I I have to pay through the nose to get them out. Yeah, recorded them the tape. Oh my goodness! I, I thought Tim was bad right. for ripping, ripping ripping them to low quality MP3 <laughs> and then throwing away all, all the CDs. But tape, that's they a whole throw bit. the CDs away. Jay, I sold them so that I could buy band equipment because I was poor. You were handing them out free. He did. He did it for you, Jay. I did it for Indirectly. you. <laughs> I had to keep that band full, that band van full of gas somehow. I was eating all my, all my paychecks from, 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 from Coles. <laughs> when I was working at Coles. Oh, uh, good times. So confused. Yeah. Uh, I want to remind folks that they can go to digmeoutpodcast.com to suggest an album. And uh, you can you can suggest uh, you know anything from Pinback to Billy Idol, and it'll go into a poll, and uh, we will uh, our community will vote on it. Which you join us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. That's where you go to vote in the polls, to uh, listen to the '80s episodes, to check out uh, all sorts of stuff. The box newsletter is posted there, which we send out every week. Two new reviews, uh, our calendar of new releases. This year has been just jam-packed every week. Just so much stuff coming out. Two, three albums every week relevant to the podcast. Singles left and right. Uh, it's going to be a packed fall. I've already got like 50 albums in the in the hopper we're going to be putting into the calendar for the fall. It's ridiculous. Books, movies, TV shows, whatever. It's relevant to the podcast. We'll, it's in the box newsletter. And um, also, uh, if you like what you heard, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us some some positive words there. Five stars. That's what uh, that's what gets it done. That's what moves us up the charts. And uh, the people in uh, B- Belgium and Belarus and Bangladesh and all those places they they find out about us and uh, and our memes, all of our memes that we have uh, going on here, like the one Jeremy's got going on now on his. Uh, background you you also i just want to point out you get to you get video of all these podcasts when you join us at, at uh, patreon and we there's a world of things happening visually <laughs> that uh you know i'm sitting here i'm at i'm i'm at uh rob's uh record store in chicago uh hanging out with the, with uh jack black and 
and all the folks at uh, what was the name of that record store in in High Fidelity? Five, wasn't it Top Five Records? Top Five Records was that or it? Was that his label? That was his label. I don't remember. I don't remember what the. I'm I'm such a bad movie trivia person. Uh, so I don't remember. But uh, so anyway, championship final. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank God for Google. Might be stealing our privacy, but at least it gives us the information when we need trivia answered. All right. What <laughs> trade-offs? It's a trade-off. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for coming back. Always enjoy it. Enjoy your discussions on the uh, on the Discord, which people can join. And uh, another meme up. Oh, he's just cycling through the memes. There, he's got them all back be in his in his uh, in his back pocket. There, just bring them out. <laughs> And uh, that's it. We're done. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out.